0: Okay, so welcome back to the Locker Room Podcast. Today I'm joined by um, a very good friend of mine and a next colleague of mine, Eddie Munley. So Eddie, thanks for coming on the podcast today, mate. No problem, mate. Happy to be here. Brilliant. Uh, we follow on from a really good podcast uh, with Stevie Pope did last time around GAA and trends and, and tactical insights. Today we're going to flip it back to what they call soccer, but we know it's football. And we're just going to talk loads of coaching shots. This is the first podcast I've done that's going to be unscripted. So I've got an opening question, but no better man than Eddie Munley, the creative guru himself, to come on and freestyle for 45 minutes. So hope you're up for the Yeah, i give it a go, mate. Brilliant. Just before we crack on, um, if anybody is not a member listening, please head over to ddsportscience.com. We've got uh, great offers on our online certificate that we've revamped recently and has been very, very popular. An eight module learning resource that takes you across the whole mbc around sports performance and discount for members there as well So have a little look at the the range of services that that are being promoted over there okay ed i'm gonna fly through some things that you've done in your career and ignore me if i miss a few things out you can plug in the gaps but um, obviously i met you at qpr um, where you worked for a number of years Prior yeah. to that, you was at Tottenham and, and coached at Spurs in, in a whole different amount of roles prior to that at Crown and Manor, which I think you'll talk about your experiences potentially there and how that shaped you maybe as a person, as a coach as well. You went on to do some college work at St. John's Wood. Is that correct?
1: Uh, yeah, with the Kinect Foundation. So I'll, yeah. I'll talk about
0: that, yeah. Kinect, trying to get boys back into the pro game um, as well. You've fitted in quite a lengthy time in South America, travelling around and, and yeah. learning things and stuff over there. You've also got your company that you set up called Just Ball, which works with club like, session players and loads of different services, one-to-one and group sessions, and you're again. And currently in FIFA, working for FIFA, doing some coach education based in Helsinki. Um, so quite an extensive uh, list of coaching experiences there, Ed. Do you want to just run through some experiences from start to bottom, from uh, bottom to top, and just give us some insight?
1: Yeah, I'll do a quick whistle-stop tour, I guess. Uh, whistle stop tour, I guess. Yeah. Um, um, so, basically, as a young player, um, was at in Orient when I was young. Uh, wasn't good enough to go past under sixteens. Uh, so, went to a one of the first of its time time a college program, which was like a real academy, a training full time, playing against other professional clubs and other colleges. That was my introduction to Crown and Manor Football Academy, uh, where I met some really inspirational people there, players and and coaches and then from there went off to America on a on a scholarship soccer scholarship as as they call it I was there for four and a half years came back played non-league and got into full-time coaching whilst I was playing non-league but before that uh, luckily enough Richard Allen who's been a really good mentor and a person I've really learned from um, he was the head of recruitment at Tottenham at the time and he had just finished at Crown and Manor so he was the academy manager at Crown and Manor so he he uh, when he was in at Spurs, he, he was kind enough to ask us to come down and have a look at sessions. And if coaching was maybe a passion of yours, you could get involved in development centres. So whilst I was going back and forth from America, I would pop in and I would learn. And I just just got a bit of a first for coaching, really. So whilst I still was pursuing a a not great lower league career, um, I was still coaching and yeah just led on to obviously yeah full time with with QPR after some part time bits with spurs i'm really lucky to go through working with the babies basically at spurs to u13s at qpr then u14s and u15s and leading the phase and then working in a professional development phase really lucky to see like one full cycle of players going from 8s 9s 10s all the way through to to all the all the different levels so that was really valuable um And then after, you know, I wanted to push myself. I was getting a little bit comfortable. Uh, I've learned so much from Chris Ramsey, excellent coach, especially them younger ages, really making sure that there's individual outcomes in trainings and things like that. But I felt I was finishing his sentences sometimes and needed a new challenge. So I, I said, rather than going to another club, I'll just challenge myself. Went to South America for a year and just went around, Still struggling with my Spanish language, but I can get by now. And um, speaking to coaches and just watching different sessions and, and learning, uh, learned loads in Argentina. Really, really grateful for learning in Argentina at a club called Argentinos Juniors, where Ortega and Maradona came from. Um, especially a lot of that's influenced uh, some of the methodology at Just Ball. And then, then yeah, came home and it was COVID, you know, and 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 players couldn't train, and a lot of the boys. Uh, we would have worked with back in the day they're all maybe league one championship that they're playing but only the premier league was on at the time you know so uh it was tough so people wanted to train so we trained you know you could train with people up to up to groups of six so we worked and then more and more players wanted to train then they went back into their clubs and then they wanted feedback after games and then they wanted some extra. And randomly, a, a performance consultancy just was was ignited through the constraint of COVID, you know, uh, which, which was pretty cool. And then, um, so I was doing that and still do that. Um, and that's really growing. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in, uh, later on in the, in the podcast. And then also went and worked for the Kinetic Foundation, uh, which similar to what I had when I was 16, where it's players that's been released from clubs or players just like maybe not quite good enough yet to go into academies or been on trial and and not quite made it. And full-time education programme and full-time training and like the history already spoke for itself. Like when I was there, when I went there, they had already had about 40 professional signings. Do you know what I mean? And then over the two years, we added another 20 Um which was great. And there's guys there that are playing, like Joe Aribo's playing in the Premier League for Southampton. Josh Marger's playing for Bordeaux in France. And there's just a list of players that are playing in every single level that's just come from a real good culture uh, at, at that place. And then, um, then yeah, I just was really privileged to get an offer by FIFA to come on board and as part of the talent development scheme to try and help raise global competitiveness of football and really support those countries that are outside the top 25 sort of the FIFA world ranking. Uh, so based in Finland at the moment, till the end of July. Um, and then in September, I'll be elsewhere, not sure yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you, you don't mind living like that, though. You're happy going from, from I wouldn't say job to job, but you're very, um, you're very creative in how you do things. And like, it was a big risk that you took going to South America. You came out of a secure full-time job. As you said, Mm -hmm. you want to challenge yourself. And when you come back, actually, COVID reignited some work for you. But you didn't know that. You didn't know that at all. So, I mean, was there that side of you that was thinking, like, what if I don't get back in the game? Or was you always confident that there's going to be a market there for you?
1: Um, I would say, I guess I'm quite committed when it comes to wanting to be better all the time. And I I thought, yeah, I'd still be able to find work, you know, when it comes to coaching at, at um at some level. I, I just try and make sure that I don't stay still for three years. So at QPR, where I was there maybe seven years, but it was always different roles. I felt like I was always appropriately challenged. Do right. you know what I mean? So um and it was nice to see that group that I maybe had at U13s end up go to be pros. Do you know it was great. So you're seeing a even um saw Murphy Cooper uh, training with us the other day and it was just great to see him. I haven't seen him in a little while, but I remember when he was yeah. 13 years old and now he's obviously played for you lot in the first team, yeah. which is, which is fantastic. Um, so yeah, that, that was really, really good to see. And then I thought, yeah, now it's it's definitely time for something new because there's so many different ways, so many different ways and and so many small things to learn. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought definitely uh, keep trying to develop, keep trying to move forward. Um, I'm not really concerned with with chasing loads of money or, and I'm not concerned. It's not really a passion of mine to want to work in first team football. I always want to be a developer of young people and young players and help grow the game. So that's what I'm always going to be doing whilst pushing myself to to learn all the time
0: yeah it's inspirational because i'm probably someone that maybe my situation is a little bit different but craves that little bit of security so to step outside of a job with nothing else there like to see someone do that and i've got full confidence that you you'll whatever you do you'll be a full success but it's really inspirational to see and i know you say you're planning to touching up on it but you helped me on a night out with a few messages back and forth so i, <laughs> I, have, your, yeah. I think your status is quite good
1: <laughs> yeah i'm getting there mate i'm getting there <laughs>
0: Ed, what you said, I was going to touch upon it if it came up actually around the first team, like thing, I've obviously done this for the last season and it's come with like massive highs and massive lows within one season already. Is there a situation where you would step into the first team role or are you really driven and set on development and progressing yourself in that area?
1: Um, I think I would do that role of, you know, that transition coach. That helps the U23s or U21s or U18s that are in the first team environment keep on developing, you know, because you, you you got you got performance and you got progression, and sometimes you can't cater for that in the whole in in the week cycle, you know, because yeah. the manager's obviously only focusing on that three points. So yeah, that managing that, you know, making sure that the players are getting enough of the training where they're really focusing on their development. And, you know, sometimes the boys go to the first team and train that they're basically a mannequin because they're used for shape and things like that. So you're thinking, all right, how do we then get an extra 30 minutes here or there to to work on your strengths and develop your weaknesses if if we need to, to play the game. So, So, yeah, and then getting that real connection with making sure that that the review of games and experiences is real individualized and, and it's really for them and supporting a network around them which is basically what we're doing at Just Balls you know and, and the players are progressing so yeah.
0: Yeah in, interesting because I came on for you for a webinar and they spoke about how do you manage those players from a physical perspective but actually like more importantly how are they managed from a technical and tactical in their job role like it, it doesn't get done enough and it, it, it's impossible for a manager to do it you think mm. we're missing a bit of a trick with support coaches having that lens on those spring players or those squad type players?
1: I'd say most most staffs, like teams, coaching teams, you would have an assistant that, you know, his job is to keep an eye on the young ones and and, and all that. But I wouldn't be able to comment to say whether I think, all right, it's done right or wrong or whether it's yeah. done enough. You know, that would be done to their their environments uh, just through, I guess, maybe speaking to the, some some of the players we work with. Like they feel they need extra.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. So, yeah. I think, I don't think that's out of turn for me to say that that's probably a common at top, like top level across the world, I'd say for professionals. And obviously there wouldn't be a need for your services if, if that was being done at the club. So mm. potentially an area in, in the future that needs to be addressed. Ed, just something then because you touched upon like a few little philosophy details. I just want to broadly ask you like what is coaching to you? How do you go about your coaching? Um, yeah, and how do you really get growth in that development pathway? And how do you summarise it and work, I guess, with players day to day? Yeah,
1: I would say, in a nutshell, coaching for me is is maximising and unleashing potential in individuals. Like that's it. Because I think even if you're looking from a team perspective, if you get if you get the bricks to build your house, they're your individual bits, and, and you're going to have the whole. You know, so. I would look at it definitely from a a micro to the macro perspective and I work on the individual needs first. That's just the way I I work. Um, So, yeah, definitely maximising and unleashing potential in individuals. And I guess the way I've been educated or the way I've learned and little bits I've nicked from here and there is, first and foremost, uh, developing a connection with the player. So really trying to understand them. Really trying to first of all, almost develop a connection outside of football that's a little bit in common. So you developing that trust and rapport, yep. and then trying to understand them and finding out what their why is. So I would always ask a question: What, what, what do you want to attempt to do if you knew that failure wasn't an option? You know, so you're thinking, right now, what, what's the real that real north star, that real dream goal that you're going to go for? And some of the boys will say, Oh yeah, I want to, I want to be the best winger in England, you know what I mean? And we'll say, all right, well, you're 16 years old. If you're saying that, well, are you living every single day to go towards those goals and what things are bringing you towards and what things are bringing you away? So understanding what they really want to achieve. And then also supporting that is what are some of their motivators and influences and wanting to achieve that. So is there, I'm doing it for my family, you know? I remember we've done that with, they'd be the current second-year pros, I believe, or third-year pros at QPR. And one of the lads' staff is, he, he said, oh, yeah, he's, he's doing it for Cyprus. He wants to be one of the first players from, from Cyprus to, to really be established in the Premier League. And you're thinking, wow, if you're not if you're not up for it on a morning yeah. and all of a sudden you thinking, oh, I've got to do it for the country, yeah. <laughs> all yeah. of a sudden, you know. So because a lot of develop, some, development sometimes is doing things that you don't really want to do, you know, but you need to do them. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, getting that understanding of of the player, and then obviously working out a clear goal of like what we want to achieve, short, medium, long term, and and how we're going to get there, um, and then setting those setting those little goals. But yeah, that's that's how I would guess define what coaching is: maximizing, unleashing potential in individuals, and then first really understanding your player, and then setting a plan in place and a plan based on individual needs so we're going to really find out once we understand the player then we see them and say all right what can you be world class at so every every person and it's my strong belief that every single person has something that they're great at yeah you know and you've got i think it's like gagne's model of talented and giftedness you know and it it, that's a theory that would say that everyone on the planet has something so if it's within the football sense Every player that we're working is with, they have something. So let's really maximise that. Let's, let's make that as good as it can possibly be. So every single session we set up so they are working on that for at least a certain period of time of the session. And then they're going to have to understand the game and understand the movements and their job role, fair enough. And then if there's anything in that job role that's going to restrict them from playing football at the top level, then we have to address it. But we don't address it and try and make it world class. Just make it good enough and make the yeah. other things world-class. So if the manager's looking and he's saying, all right, I've got this player that's 25 years old and he's got 300 games under his belt uh, and he does everything at this level and I've got this 18-year-old boy who's just as good as him at that level, well, why am I going to pick, why am I not going to go with the one with 300 games? But yeah. If you've got this player that does something outstanding, I might I might chuck him on for 20 minutes at the end. Uh, he might, You know what I mean? And all right, I'll put him on again. And then they go and earn their shirt. Yeah. Um, so yeah definitely finding a real strength based coaching
0: programme It's interesting you say that Ed because like the, the limitations or the restrictions have to be at a level where someone can't use it against them so if they don't pin the back post that well if they're done well enough that someone can't say well he doesn't get in the box when the ball's you know what I mean so it's like exactly. making sure that it's there but the super strength one's really important and probably something that people come away from because we're geared towards negativity all the time just like we always go through what can't they do yeah, but what can what can they do you know what I mean and you never see that you never hear them conversations that often I don't think yeah I think that's just a that's a natural uh
1: survival response for humans right we, we're programmed to to see the negativity
0: yeah. from a
1: real like real survival response to make sure that we stay alive you know you got you got to figure out like what's negative around here and all that but really when that's like the deeper part of your brain but the, the human brain's about being more analytical and 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 problem solving well and and you can really then when we look at it like that and shut off that bit of the animal brain a little bit start thinking more logically then um it's all about developing strengths it's all about developing strengths and and, and really trying to help people be brilliant like right? see the brilliance in them and try and maximize it
0: yeah it's a very positive and, and like say logical approach to it just, just a couple of things there and what you said so at the moment just for you're working with small groups and one for one like that connection arguably is a little bit easier than connecting with everybody in, in a group session to take in a team, right? How do you connect with the players that you don't naturally connect with, or you don't naturally have that much in common with? Like, because in a group of 15, 16, you're probably going to gravitate towards, and well, they say at most, how do you work on those couple of players that you've struggled to tap into? Yeah. And this
1: is something that I'm still working on. Um, but what I do at the moment, I have... Within group sessions, I always have three players that I want to give some real, real, real support to. And that might change like every week, I might just focus on three. And then if you're focusing on three, you're still getting the secondary and tertiary players. They're going to have to do things to get those outcomes, you know, so they're still working on things. But the real spotlight rather than the floodlight, the real spotlight goes on these players. And then if I'm making sure that that rotates enough, then every player is getting a piece of the pie, then... Already, the players are all feeling a, an appropriate amount of love and support from from the staff. And then also the same thing is with my conversations. I'm making sure that almost like you go on some coaching courses, they ask you to do relationship maps with people in your in your in your club, and making sure like you're, you're understanding how close you are to certain members of staff, whether it's a red, amber, or green. I do the same thing with players. So what do I need to do to make sure it's all amber or green? For the, for the most of the time. And if it is, I'm all right, I've got to spend a bit more time with the player. And you just have to find one thing, yeah. one thing that connects you, you know, what yeah. team you support? Food, where you're from, brother, sisters, whatever, you know, find one thing because it's, it's deeper than football. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, and then once we find that connection, then they'll they'll trust you so much more, you know, and you can get, you can go on a journey with them, uh, yeah. definitely, but it's not, yeah, it's not something that's, you uh, that's like so easy to connect with people that you just naturally connect with, you know, and yeah. you have to get out of your comfort zone and make the effort, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good, good answer, Ed. And then the other one was just around your session planning. So, like, when I used to see you and we used to work together, and I used to see your session plan, very, very different to how other people would, would plan and was a massive, I'd say, influencer when I stepped in and did a little bit of coaching as well. you we want to speak around because it get, comes down to the individual, I, I guess, as, as the forefront how you sit down with a group of 16 players and what's going through your mind when you start to plan these seconds?
1: Yeah, first and foremost, the who. So who yeah. who's, who's in training? Because you can say, all right, on our tactical cycle, we're kind of plan out from the back, but if four of your back line are injured and you've just got a lot, a lot of the front line, you know, you've got to think about what um, what you got. So the who, and then based on their needs, you're thinking about a plan. And then obviously you think that'll help you with the what. And yeah. then you've got to think about the when because you've got to think about load and when when in the week it is and, and all that. And then you really bed down, bed down properly the how. And I think in pictures. Yeah. So I'll just have three pictures and I literally draw like a little camera, picture one. And then I'll think about three pictures and then the key players that are going to be in that. All right. And then these are the game pictures. So I've got that. Then I look at the end of the practice. With those game pictures, what is my end game or end practice or end phase going to look like? Yeah, And then from that, I then strip it back and go, okay, what is a development practice that can lead into that, that has some of those elements? Because if you've just got a game, it's so random, you might not be able to get enough repetition. Although you get the realism because it's a game, it the repetition ain't there. But then when you strip it back, you might get slightly more reps, slightly less realism. You know, yeah. but it's still more relevant if you're looking at the three hours, realism, repetition, and uh, and relevance. So yeah, strip it back, and then within that, okay, so that allows us for more reps. and strip it back again, and then you get in the real mechanics of the movements, and you can go fine into the real details. So I'd I'd plan in pictures, then I'd plan in reverse yeah. with the players' outcomes in, in 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 the forefront of my mind, and and, and writing it down. And then you'd also then think about, all right, within that, if the players are doing quite well and then they're, they're, they're excelling at it, what constraints can I put on to make sure that they're appropriately challenged? And then the other way around, what constraints do I need to do to make sure that it's a little bit easier for them to make sure they're in that 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 sweet spot of, of learning zone, you know what I mean? Or the zone of proximal development, as the uh, scholars say. <laughs> um thank
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Ver- 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 you, is it, the, the Chris? All right. Yeah. So I think, I think, yeah um Ed, one simple thing and it's something that i like i always remember your, your initial picture was when you have the who it's like get a pit, put them in their position really mm-hmm. simple so you can see if you're front heavy if you've got even distribution where on the pit do you want to start putting these problems and these sessions in i i haven't seen loads of coaches do that but it's a simple way of just starting your individual outcomes for sessions right
1: yeah and i would say t- i talked to a lot of the coaches are working about this, like working the pitch geography. Yeah. You know, so I see sessions that look, if you're restricted with space, that's one thing. But I see sessions where possessions go across the box. Yeah. You know, like when does that ever happen? Yeah. You know, so there's so much subconscious learning for the players that can just happen if you're working in the right spaces. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's the right, right. They play there. So, and you're working on this, so start the ball there. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? And make sure the direction's right. And
0: yeah. Re- really interesting. Germany is just—you uh, probably in the loop—but have just like released and new revamp of their development model, and everything's around pitch geography, two v 2s mm-hmm. around midfield, around the centre circle. You know, stuff we've been doing for for a while. But it's, it's common sense, but people need to think about that, don't they? Every every little bit counts.
1: Yeah, I think um, it's there's so much out there now. You know what I mean? You can go and find a session on anything, you know? But I think sometimes we need do need to strip it back and just think. Look, there's two goals. There's usually 22 players on the pitch. There's one ball. It's like you know, and it's it's I've got to go towards the goal to put it in in the net, and yeah. then I've got to come and protect my goal by either dropping off and protecting the goal or going to win, going to win it quickly. You know, like and it's um, because there is so much out there and there's so many uh, different words for things these days. Yeah. You know. Uh, what is it now it's called quantitative to superiority because you've got more numbers. You've got an overload. I've got more numbers than you. Why do you need to call it quantitative superiority? Or now it's called qualitative superiority because I think this player can dominate you one V one. So I'm going to give him the ball. Like Our job as educators is to make the game sound more simple and help the players understand the game. Not, not to make it more difficult, you know, and that's not saying that we don't be detailed, detailed in the right way to get into the player's world we're working in and help them see it, help them see it quickly, easy.
0: You know? Yeah, it comes back to that, that good connection as well. Ed, you spoke on the systems around uh, like setting up scenarios that might have greater repetition of something you want to work on as opposed to being random and purely just, just a game. Talk to me a little bit about, and then you spoke about your mechanics, talk to me a little bit about the, the isolated practice type work and then the game-based approach and the, this sort of shifting continuum. Where do you sit on that Um, and how do you like state sessions to maybe bias one approach over another or is there something that's always common for you? Mm, Yeah, I think it, again, it might come down to the time
1: of the week and how you want to periodize your training. But one principle I definitely have is to make sure that the way you set up the session there, there's enough variation in it that the players ain't like, oh, all right, we're going to come in, we're going to do some I- isolated stuff, then we're going to add a bit of distraction, interference, add another player, add a passive defender, go into a 2v2 or a little get or a, or a possession, then a game at the end. Like, like, all right, that might be one way, but then yeah. in other times it's got to be a little bit different. Once the players are obviously warm and ready, all right, we, we can start with a wave-based practice. We can start with a game and then strip it back, whole, pot hole, putt, hole whatever, we, whatever you want to do. But... Make sure that there's enough variation in the training so the players are like, they're engaged. You know, it's it's not the same thing mundane because the brain will switch off and then yeah. it won't be an optimal place to learn. Yeah. So definitely having that, that variety within it. And obviously that's also variety in space, shape, size of the football sometimes. And, you know, so they've got different problems to solve because if we yeah. want adaptable players, how in God's name can we do the same type of session all the time and expect yeah. the players to then go and be adaptable? Yeah, for me, it it doesn't make sense. So I definitely make sure it's adaptable, and I think for me, it's not like all right, we should be game based, and the game is the teacher, and it's not all right, we should be so isolated. I think it's based on the player's needs. Yeah, but they're gonna need, like I say, different
0: pieces of the pie, and it's got to be varied for them, hundred percent. Yeah, it's crazy that people even sit in one or the other camp. I just think you've got these tools to utilize, and depending on who you've got, you you apply the right tool. And even mm. if you go like whole part whole or you, you do something slightly different to a conventional session, how important though is the learning outcomes that are we say scaffolded that but, but are set, the picture and the scene is set early on for what you want to get to in the end game, the end problem solved. Like sometimes I think captures are put on without any thought process of how it knocks on to the next practice and so on. How of course,
1: yeah. Yeah, massive. So if um say we're we're working on in the final third and we want to speed up when this midfield line is broken or something like that so you know that your centre-back or your number four is going to need maybe that bit of disguise to pass the ball in between the lines you know and if it's going to go maybe from the nine you know the nine going to need dropping in short setting, spinning, or you know if it's going to go straight to the 10 or the 8, you know that they're going to have to have good positioning between two players. They're going to have to be able to get their first touch to eliminate the player if possible. So you've got all them little things. And if you look at it, you have the preparation of that as well. So yeah. it's like if we look just at the midfielder between the lines, just something so simple as a centre-back opening up, looking like he's passing to the fullback, the left fullback with his left foot and reversing it into a midfielder that's pulling off and then opening out with his left foot and taking his first touch across the cone, not even a defender yet. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? All right. So what, what's, the, what's your position in relation to the cone? Do you start in front of the cone? Well, no, we want you standing behind the cone because that's the player. Do you know what I mean? By the time the ball gets to you, how does your body want to be positioned? What's the? How soft or hard or the weight of your first touch? What's the direction of the first touch? You know, three steps across the line of the, the opponent. And then you add the opponent, passive, and then the opponent, they can only turn when the ball goes past the line of their shoulder. So they're facing the ball. Ball goes past the line of their shoulder. They can turn and defend. Then you're looking at, all right, can I use my arms yeah. to, to guide me? increase the distance between ball and player? Do I need to then make sure I'm really getting it on the outside foot of my left foot so it's further away from the opponent? Or does the opponent jump quick? And you go left foot, right foot across. And then, you know, so all the little bits and then that just builds up, builds up, builds up. So then as well, you get so much of it that the players can start doing it without thinking about it. And then in the session later on, when you're doing a real game, you don't have to stop it and be like, oh, stop, adjust your body here. And does you know, because otherwise you'd have to stop it all the time.
0: Yeah, so yeah. uh
1: so yeah and then also those little what we might call brush your teeth practices that the players should be doing every day for their their needs it's like they're so sometimes so simple as well that the players you can set them to just do that you know what you've got to do you five minutes over there you're working yeah. on pulling off and eliminating with your first touch you lot over there and and then they can start training themselves a little bit and you just go around and you you help make make it the appropriate difficulty for the players, you know, so,
0: so, yeah. We spoke a lot before on the podcast about like arrival activities. Like if those players know those specific things they need to work on for the first 10 minutes before the second starts officially, they can crack on with that. And it's all done in different areas of the pitch. And it's not, yeah. not a generic brushing your teeth. It's, this is what you need to work on. Here's your detail. Um, yeah, yeah, it's for your teeth everyone's <laughs> uh, teeth different right yeah yeah but uh,
1: massively and I think that as well when in, involving the player in, in their programme so I spoke about alright what are your strengths what areas need to do to work on and it's about the player and the coach sitting down and working on it collectively yeah. and collaborating to be like alright this is what we're going to work on I think remember like um, Shiloh Remy's year Shiloh's doing well we we'll probably get back into the league now Um When we had them, they they done all that. What's my why and who are my idols and what players do I want to learn from? they done all that. And then they also actually presented to the staff and the players videos of themselves doing what they feel they do best and how they could work on it and then other areas for development and what they're going to do to work on it. So they were really, really conscious about what they need to get better at. And if there's that collaboration between coach and player, then it's really clear that they're understanding that every session is intentional. Yeah. And in the attention, the intention then brings into the attention in training. So I know exactly what I'm doing. i know where to look, what, when, how, why, and all that. And, you know, they used to come in and they fill out their learning objectives for the day. Um, and they got their journals that after the training, they reflect in. And really that's about accountability for the coaches as well. Cause yeah. If I pick up the player's journal and I've done a session and they're meant to say what was in it for me, and they don't feel that a part of the session didn't have outcomes for them, then it's either me that didn't do something right or we have to help educate the player into understanding that learning process and what was in it for them.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, that's what I was going to say because when you spoke about the spotlight of three players, in anything you do or more, 90% of the practice you put on, there's always going to be an outcome for every player, but it's that player. Having an awareness of that so if they've got that accountability and that ownership of their own development and what they need in a simple even if you put on a basic possession practice there's going to be so much for every player within that it's mm. them having that understanding and it comes back to connection doesn't it you had a great connection with that group um yeah and you, yeah, and you, you drove guess. the standards high Ed, just um moving thing a little bit because i'm kind of conscious of time and also i want to make sure that we get a, a, a few topics um, out there you're currently working in Finland, so you do it as you spoke about before some coach support that try to increase the let's say, competitiveness around the globe. Not just Finland, you've been to South America, you've been in America. What's some like real differences that you've seen amongst the countries, and then also maybe some similarities that you've seen as well, where we can take stuff from other countries that maybe we don't traditionally? What have you seen from a national perspective or international perspective? Okay, so internationally, I would say, uh,
1: most. I'd say, if not, at least 90% of teams, coaches that I've spoken to and seen would say they play a brand of progressive possession-based football that press high out of possession. Most, most. Yeah, yeah um interestingly at kinetic we we said no we don't do that we play solution-based football with intensity style control and togetherness so we get the players to actually look for solutions you know if they're pressing really high and the spaces behind we'll put it in there we'll mix it you know because yeah we wanted to teach the players a wide variety because we don't know where they're going to play you know
0: which is which is what you did to us in, in a pre-season game i remember when we were trying to press you high you just find it into the space where the center half as isolated Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if, yeah, yeah.
1: The opposition want to give you a one v one close to their goal. Well, we'll, we'll take it. You take know? it. Yeah. yeah. So, um. So yeah, I think. But yeah, a lot would say, "All right, this is our style." Um, and then I would say a lot of the training uh, things we can learn. I'll start with positives for first things we can learn in Argentina. I never saw a session that didn't have finishing in it for some reason. So there wasn't one session that at least 15 to 20 minutes, they didn't work inside the boxes, you know? And I think we can definitely learn from that. And I'm not saying they were definitely the best team at the World Cup. At the end of the day, they won the World Cup, didn't they? So <laughs> Yeah, but obviously there's a lot more to it. Um, So that was interesting.
0: Also, the games was are in, won in both boxes. The other games are won and lost in both boxes. Yeah, they are. They yeah, are. Yeah, yeah,
1: And when I look at practices in most parts of the world, I do see that it's a lot outside both boxes, you know, and it's, you know, practices are now heavily um, have the spotlight on build up play, you know, yeah. because I guess maybe as coaches, you know, we, we can control that with the positions and all right, we'll get we'll work the overload and, you know, I I'll do it and I've done it before. I'm feeling, oh yeah, I feel really good now. You know what I mean? But then if you work on that and the players always have the perfect support, then what happens when the chaos comes which it does in a game because that's part of the game and how can they get out of it without the support yeah. you know so um yeah that's something to think about and what i really liked and learned quite a bit in in argentina was like they almost train some of their players the way goalkeeper coaches train goalies so if you watch goalies like obviously they work in the right area of the pitch but also they always work in sort of sets of three so they'll train and practice after they've done their basics three key situations you know so they'll go all right low collapse save um reaction save then catch across and maybe counter You it's like bam, bam 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 so you're thinking about that ability to really think about your next action and not switch yeah. off after an action there was always and even with so with the strikers there was always a before during and an after so they go they'd have a shot bang, then they'd go press a centre-back that's stepping out with the ball, then they'll get another through ball and have another shot. You know, so when you see that within the training, you know, when they're working on the individual bits, you're thinking, yeah, there's there's definitely something in that. And it's, it's yeah. something we've we've sort of brought into what we do at Just Ball. Um, and I think it really, the, the players kind of do say like, man, if you switch off in one of your sessions, you're done. You know, because they'll just get lost in it. Like it will break down, you know, or like, yeah, um, so that that was quite good for that real mental alertness. And if you think about how many goals are scored from transition, I guess if you're a bit more alert, you're going to have a chance. Yeah. Um, and also that ability to adapt again, you know? So if I if I miss a shot and instantly my head goes down here, first of all, you're releasing cortisol when you go down here. It's a stressful moment, so you're not going to feel great, are you? So will do that right away. Then you, you're out of the game and you're not in the moment, you know? And the manager does not care for the next five or six seconds, if they're on a counter attack, about your feelings and even yeah. to the fans that pay the money to go and watch you. By the way, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's about trying to help help that and also help people get over things quickly. Yeah, you know, everyone misses, everyone has a mistake. right like it's about how quickly you can bounce back for things. And a footballer's career, just like everyone's, is is so non-linear, and you have so many speed bumps. So if within the training session you can have those things as well, thinking about developing. Uh, more deeply people's character, you know? So that's, that's something we, we, we try and look at. And then, um, and then, yeah, I'd say one thing I was really impressed with uh, one place was, was sport in Lisbon on the intensity of, of, of what they do. Um, Like a day before a game, uh, they're under 15s and 16s. Like they want players that can run with a ball and dribble, you know? So I saw sort of like just real intense, 3v3s, 2v2s, half pitch, like going at it, going at it the day yeah. before a game. And they were like, yeah, look, once every so often, we train them really hard the day before a game to then see what they're made of the next day. That yeah. doesn't mean they do that all the time. But um, I was really impressed with them and 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 how they they have such a clear identity. And I guess maybe that's why they're their only club to produce two Ballon d'Or winners, you know. But
0: um, yeah, so just going back to one of your first points then do you think then we need to come away from here's our brand to you talk about adaptable players to that problem solve and early on let's give these like kids more tools where we're not just playing this one style because you know the the academies are guilty of it up and down the country where they have their style and they stick to it where we're going to tap into lots of different styles so that on the pitch they can problem solve and switch to different styles if needed
1: yeah, yeah, I think you definitely have your principles that you stick yeah. to, um, but I would say yeah, more of a more varied, varied style might might help a well-rounded education for the players. Yeah, you know? and yeah. more than anything, look, I, I I love keeping the football. You know, I love I love looking at Brighton's Derby, play and, and and things like that. But we don't know what the game's going to look like in ten years. So if we're working with twelve-year-olds on that, then maybe that's a problem because it might look different. You know, yeah. you might get like, when you look at Futsal, the way they play 4-0, because in Futsal, you can't go back to the goalkeeper after one pass. So yeah. that's imagine like the goalkeeper's pressed and you're full press, and you've got to get out somehow. And if in the future you have, well, if even in today, if a team full-presses you and you have a centre-back that is completely dominating your, your nine and you have an opposition midfield that is winning every single second ball, well that maybe ain't the solution so what are you going to do differently you look yeah. at hamburg hamburg last season when they were when they were playing out sometimes you, you had the 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 center back going to get it off the goalkeeper playing to the other center back then running into midfield then the full-back comes into the center back position and they look like they're playing 40 in futsal and it, it's actually quite difficult to to mark you got i guess you have got to have some real um Real confidence and real trust from your chairman to play like that. Because if there is a, if you, if you do concede because it's new, they, yeah. uh, there will be some fear and, um, some, some apprehension against that. But, um, yeah, I think definitely the future is going to be more people adapting because, as well, you go, you've got the analysts up in the stands now. You've got nearly most Sunday league teams over here have VO, you know. <laughs> so, uh, I'd even, either that kinetic would be like oh, let's get a hold of their vo and have a look at what they look like <laughs> do you know what i mean so yeah. i think if if the opponent always knows like what you're going to do and they plan for that then how are you going to be able to switch and change and and, and and adapt so what what will the future hold with that you know
0: yeah very interesting also not just the future game but also different styles and different managers like when you prepare, it's under twelve what level they're going to get to who knows really you're trying to get them as high as they can but they could be playing for anyone so for them to be successful they need to be able to adapt to those different styles i guess Um, massively massively just a couple of questions i want to get into your your adjustable stuff in in a little bit of detail and just let you explain that a little bit more um so working with like different pros around the country and groups of players and and to support that individual like a couple of things really like what the massive benefits from you and how do you find it working with smaller groups as opposed to working with that team and having that, I guess, that team cohesion and a collective drive? And also, like, what sort of services are you giving and, and how does it work on, on a, a day-to-day and week-to-week basis for the year? Yeah, so, um, I start with, I guess, like, from a personal
1: standpoint, why really? I love it is because you'll be working with a striker from Southend that play a certain way in a certain league and yeah. has to do with certain problems. Then you might be working with one from Arsenal, you know, <laughs> that's a completely different world. Yeah. And whether that's U23s, U18s or, or, or first team, or whatever. And then, you know, so you, you're working with so many different types of players within the diff- with different types of the game. And then you might be working with a 16 year old left back or whatever, you know, so, and and it's challenging then. All right. How can we really see what's the best benefit within training for your world, which is great for where you're at. And then, yeah, you might have some that, you know, they get one day off a week and they they want to come and do something light and you have to make the decision whether that's the right thing or or not. And having to work around that as well and adjust and maybe that one player is also if someone else that didn't play yesterday and you're, you're in the session together and how do you manage the two loads and all that? So that's really nice. And I feel that's a a really, really good challenge, you know? Um, So that's great. And, how we shape it, and I guess the, the model, it's it's more not just doing sessions, Ross. Like it's not just sessions. It's more like mentoring. Yeah. You know. So it's same like I said. How I would see coaching is that it's really trying to understand understand the players and really trying to help working with them to maximise their their potential. So that's not just all right. Yeah, we can design a good training session that's going to have good outcomes based on let's say all right. We've looked at your last 50 chances on goal. And we've noticed that 60% of them come from this zone with this type of pressure. So we're going to recreate those situations a lot. We've noticed 25% are in at the back post. We're going to recreate this. We have noticed actually, if you made this type of run, you could get in this position. That's going to help. So we'll do that. And we'll design a session around that. And we'd also show them, them doing it. And then we'll also show the world's best doing it and compare. And they can reflect on that as well. So we've got an online platform we're developing with that, where the players can go online. There's some um, interactive learning for them as well. Um, but it's not just that. It's, all right, what's your body language like when you walk in the club? Are you the first one in? Are you going to do a prehab? Do you know every single member of staff in that club? And if it came down to a meeting, would they always be championing your name? You know, because you never know. You might have one day where it ain't gone right for you and you're a bit moody and you've rubbed someone up the wrong way. They've gone to another club, a member of staff, the other Mm -hmm. clubs say they want to buy you and they say, no, he's a bad egg, you know, and at the end of the day, just as a human, you want to be a positive influence to the people around you. So trying to help them see that and what it is now. And I guess some of the reason why we said, all right, we're going to pursue this is because In England, really difficult because players get too much too young. You know, we've got the Premier League money. So, you know, it's very difficult for players to really be in a position where they want to fight for things and want to earn things. And then you almost get that sort of entitled mentality. And then when things don't go your right way, you get that victim mentality. Yeah. So we sort of said, no, all right, well, we want to try and... And almost reignite that, that spirit again, where it's all about old school values working really hard, but with a new school mentality towards coaching and, and and developing. you know so that that's where we we sort of decided to really pursue it after a few of the players were asking. so it's uh, it's real mentorship, even making sure the players you know they're doing their their extras there if if they're well meditating is a bit of a non-negotiable for that they have to. Do you know what I mean? We have other bits like, all right, a plus or a benefit is, it's, it's desirable if you go grounding and stuff like that. And we give players books to read, and and things and and things to study. And we're we're looking at as well some of the older players mentoring some of the younger players with a few bits because they've been there, and the younger players are probably going through some of the things that they've experienced firsthand a couple of years ago. So that's maybe sometimes more powerful. And then also looking at players that are falling out of the game, going into non-league, a bit older, that all right, well, we we'll get them on board with some coaching and, and try and help them with that assimilation to the to the real world. So uh so yeah, it's 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 definitely not just all right, yeah, come do a session and and we'll show you putting the ball in the top corner and take a picture on Instagram. We want to try and help help kids' lives
0: yeah mate really really good explanation and you're doing some fantastic work with you and, and kez who, who's been there for a long time and you two are the, the, the founders really anyone who's listening who wants to have a look online just ball with J U S, and then ball um just have a look is that right yeah yeah yeah. We, <laughs> yeah, t- yeah we took the
1: tea out to get a little bit street but yeah just ball performance
0: well, well you are street you are you are street man so don't forget that that's the connection yeah
1: yeah like. stay close to the
0: roots and all that yeah, great stuff but yeah, uh, but, stuff. yeah and, just and,
1: ball performance is um And we've got, like I say, we're toying with the online learning platform, which uh, players are finding good value to, to be fair. So we're able to really, you know, we're going to work on blindside movements with a striker or, yeah, or cross it, attacking from wide areas where that will come out. It's like, all right, we've got videos of that with explanations and annotations that are like, go look at that, then come and train, and we can show you a video of you doing it, then go look at that video again. And and see 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 what you got, and we could be like, look, you remember the video, Harland? He pulled off here when the ball's in this position. Da, yeah. da, 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 look at his change of speed, and so that that's a real tool because we went around and saw so like no one really has a bank of of every single element of every single position broken down, mm-hmm. you know. So everything every position needs to do it's there, click, 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 and loads of explanations and all that. So it, it, it sort of worked as a good, a good learning tool for the players rather than us always having to send individual ones to the players.
0: Yeah, no, it's amazing. And stuff you're doing is really good. And I guess your holistic knowledge and understanding of everything, and it comes to my last point, because I know the listeners will, will be interested in it, obviously helps, helps the players. Working with the MVP Ed, so you've had experience in different clubs, working with like a, an MVP a medical team, sports science team, a analyst, mm. analysts, other coaches yeah. talk to me in real terms because we've had some really good discussions in-house and also outside of, of work but sometimes the, um, the the debates that go on amongst the nbc and it's not always perfect because everyone wants slightly different outcomes and mm. talk to a bit about real life and, and how i guess you've navigated your way through that in your career yeah i think i think
1: um i've maybe learned to do it a bit better as i've progressed like everything but uh, well, i think you have to have the conversations and you have to have obviously the trust to be able to have the difficult conversations. But out of the conflict comes cohesion. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So it's not like, all right, I'm gonna just completely let him do what he wants to do because he says, all right, the the sports scientists or SNC coach might say, all right, can we work in a really small area today? Because we need to get the Axels and D cells and all that. Like, all right, cool. That's a guideline and support. But if the player really needs something else, then there's gotta be some conversation there and I think that's where we got to a stage Ross where because as well you you played the game as well you understand it Mm. it 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 was quite easy to work together in that in that sense and then if there was something that needed to be done like a top up or something different or you would say right they need to get a, a bit more high speed running let's open the pitch out a little bit and it was there there's that flexibility but I think it's important that the trust is there between the members of staff and you sit down and you look at the players' needs and, and you plan it together based, on, based around that. And part of those needs, yeah, is what do they need physically to support what they're doing yeah. to solve pro- real football problems on the pitch and stay injury-free.
0: Yeah, um, you put, put it really well. I think, like, openness and people being, like, humble, look, those conversations aren't attacking your work or your personal beliefs. Mm-hmm. Everyone just comes at a slightly different lens. I even think about certain players in the academy coming back from injury. And maybe have trained just say two times That's pretty, as, as an example. And as a coach, then you're saying, well, they look really good in training. You're happy with their rehab. Why can't they play some game time at the weekend? And mm-hmm. the people will be like, no, have to do a four week training. That's our policy. But those sort of conversations are only there in the interest of the player. Like, and you're mm-hmm. just having those conversations on a daily basis. So people are scared of conflict. As you said, conflict brings cohesion. I think you put it really well.
1: Yeah. And I'd say, that one as well, sometimes you, if you're doing a Tuesday session and that player's just coming back from injury, let's say he's had a few days training and you're doing a red, you know, and he's doing loads of 2v2s, 1v1s and all that. Well, like, if you're playing a game against a team that you're definitely going to dominate possession in and they might be in a low block, you're actually yeah. going to do a lot more work in that in that session. So it's about, right, these are our policies or our guidelines, but let's look at it um, and, and let's discuss.
0: 100% Ed. Context is always key and, and all those good discussions. Ed, we're going to wrap up there not because you've got to go because I know me and you could talk for hours because I've got to do the school runs so one, the limiting factor but just from here um, Locker and Podcast, mate I always learn when I talk to you so thank you very much. First time we did I thought navigated it quite well. Um, yeah, all the best for the summer, mate and I hope the, the Just Ball stuff goes well and uh, yeah, we'll catch we'll chat soon.
1: We'll catch up soon, mate. Thank you very much.